0: a challenging market, lots to balance, but most of our investors are needing to stay invested. And I think that the bank exposure is one that's kind of fitting the current shape of the market.
1: Welcome to the seventh episode of our Deep Dive series on Canadian Bank Quarterly Earnings. Today, we're covering the second quarter 2022 bank earnings announcements, and we will return each quarter on this channel to update you on the latest financial results. My name is Daniel Stanley. I'm an ETF specialist at BMO Exchange Traded Funds. I'm joined today by my friends and colleagues, Chris Heeks, Portfolio Manager for all of BMO's equity and multi-asset ETFs, and Sorab Mobahedi, Managing Director, Financials Research, at BMO Capital Markets. Today, we're going to cover the recent bank earnings announcements and what they mean for investors and the Canadian economy, as well as looking at different ETF strategies that give you exposure to the Canadian banks. So, without further ado, Chris and Sorab, thank you very much for taking the time to join me. Why don't we get started? And, Sorab, I want to start with you. I want to start by looking at the present. Because on our last podcast, you noted that all six banks exceeded Q1 consensus expectations and that it was a solid start to 2022. What about Q2? How did the banks do this time around?
2: Dan, it's good to be back. I'd say uh, it was pretty consistent with the maybe the first quarter final assessment, this time five beat. One was a one percent miss, so I'll call that a push. Collectively, they reported uh, a little over fifteen one-five billion in after-tax cash operating earnings. That was five percent higher than a year ago. On a fiscal year-to-date basis, we're halfway through. As a group, they've now delivered uh, just around thirty-one billion dollars. And after tax earnings, which is 10% higher than the comparable period last year. So they did pretty good. I'd say, you know, another consistent, you know, if if one consistent theme this quarter was they essentially exceeded expectations. The other one was that the source of those better than expected results were the credit provisioning levels. Credit provisioning levels remain (laughs) embarrassingly low levels across the group, the PCL ratio, the provision for credit loss ratio was uh, two basis points. You know, if we kind of think about the banks and we look at their through the cycle, PCL ratios, it would be in the 35 to 40 basis point range versus the two basis points this quarter. And a couple of years ago, during the peak of the pandemic, close to 200 basis points, 150 basis points so uh clearly the pandemic related reserve building two years ago is uh is proving to have been overly conservative and a gift that keeps on uh giving on the rest of it i just say that uh, long live business diversification last year their fee businesses like uh, investment banking and trading and capital markets and wealth in general were shouldering the uh brunt of it and uh the baton looks to be being passed to the deposit-taking, loan-making operations, benefiting from, like an enduring benefit, if you will, for the next little while of the central bank rate hikes.
1: That's great. Thank you, Saurabh. Chris, on our last podcast, you mentioned that rising rates were benefiting financials, but that this had to be balanced off with the, the geopolitical risks that existed out there, namely Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Uh, Now, the risk of recession has to be added to this balancing act. Chris, if you're looking at our ETFs with bank exposure, what are the markets saying about financials on an absolute basis and maybe also on a relative basis?
0: Yeah, thanks, Dan, and and also great to be here. It's a challenging year for investing. Certainly, you know, it is certainly a, a balancing act along a few different dimensions, you know, if you look at kind of the price evolution of the banks since uh, you know our last podcast, you know, they were under a lot of downward pressure. Um, you know, the market was as well um, as we know, but the banks, you know, were down about 15% from mid-February to mid-May. You know, the broad index in Canada, Canada's been a little bit of a beacon of relative light within the scope of world equities, but even then the broad index was only down nine percent. So Canadian banks were taking it on the chin in terms of a price perspective. Um, You know, the view that we were going out to clients was this would be an adding opportunity at the time. But of course, to your point, we have to mention that, you know, it's balancing risk versus reward. Recession risk, in our view, it's not imminent, but, you know, it's certainly out there, maybe out in the future, a couple of years. Geopolitics is obviously huge in terms of rising interest rates. You know, we still think that's going to be a tailwind for banks, but, you know, investors did not like to see kind of a flattening Yield curve out there, um, but you know, since this kind of sell-off of fifteen percent that I mentioned, it looks like the market's starting to restore its confidence in banks. I do think there's a little bit of a, uh, you know, where else can you go? Or uh, there is no alternative, uh, Tina, as it's called. Um, but you know, banks are pretty solid fundamentally. You know, I think we're coming out of this quarter with cautious optimism. Um, you know, as Sarab said, by no means did they, did they knock the lights out, but you know, performance was pretty pretty solid on the bottom line. Dividend yields at four percent. They're trading at ten times earnings. You know, we've seen this preference, um, you know, across our suite for a little more high quality investments this year. We've seen like dividends outperforming, for example, companies that have current earnings, and I think the the banks do fit that uh, fit that mold, so to speak. It's a challenging market lots to balance but most of our investors are needing to stay invested and i think that the bank exposure is one that's kind of fitting the current shape of the market and um you know we are seeing some you know client flows into banks and dividend strategies there thanks for that chris Surab, so, i want to come back to you because uh, chris
1: mentioned the dreaded recession word even though he it says it's it's not imminent I feel like in each of our previous podcasts, it felt like the bank's financial results, which are typically backward-looking versus stock prices, which are forward-looking, were in sync. There was a sense that you could extrapolate optimism into the future. Now, it feels like with both rising rates and a little bit more economic uncertainty on the horizon, it feels like that synchronicity you know, and the ability to extrapolate strong performance going forward is being tested. How do you see the banks weathering this uncertainty?
2: Look, there's no doubt uh, that rising rates, inflation, and the overall economic cycle are uh, definitively uh, top of mind for uh, investors, certainly bank investors that we speak with. Um, Mostly, because it looks like central banks have to be a lot more front-footed with the pace and number of rate hikes to manage inflation really relative to the transitory expectations they have. So if I just think about that for a second, and the, the, the bottom line here is uh, higher rates, higher central bank rates are either then intended to fight off inflation, the environment we're in or too hot of an economy and intended to slow it down. So it's understandable that higher rates, certainly uh, rising rates at the kind of pace that is expected by the markets, may cause a bit of a uh, maybe a cause for pause for Canadian bank bank investors, I suppose. Look, the financial markets have priced in their own expectations. So there is obviously right now a bit of a, a catch up, if you will, between where the financial markets expect to see, let's say, the ten-year being versus uh, you know where the rate hikes will take it. Uh, but but now, because of some of these worries that come with uh, you know with rising rates, uh, the participants are a little bit more willing to pass, look past the benefits. Uh, market participants of, of higher rates and look at look at the worrying. Uh, credit quality implications uh, associated with debt service ratios, for example, which will come under pressure in consumer credit and corporate profit margins, which come under pressure not only for higher funding costs with the higher rates, but also you know, the tighter, tighter labor market and higher energy. So yeah, in other words, uh, the, the potential for a slowdown, if you want to call it the dreaded recession, is a lot more Uh, omnipresent, I think, in the current environment, has kind of factored its uh, uh, where, I guess, it's factored into investment decision-making when it comes to banks. And I'll just, you know, I'll reiterate what Chris was saying that, look, that February, when we really saw the first set of rate hikes kind of coming through between February and end of May, that was a 600 basis point on the performance uh, for the Canadian Bank Index. Interestingly enough, um, I like data mining. Uh, one of the things we did is we looked back uh, to 1970, found, you know, prior to this environment that we're in right now, 10 other instances where there had been like a 15% or more backup in the Government of Canada 10 years. And in nine out of to- 10 of those uh, instances, um, the bank index had underperformed. Uh, these would have been of obviously varying durations, but the bank index would have underperformed uh, the broader market uh, during those uh, rate rising kind of cycles. The good news, though, I think for bank investors is that in eight out of 10 of those uh, in the preceding or in the following six months uh, when financial markets had peaked off on where the rates are going to be, uh, the bank index has outperformed uh, both uh, in the next six and in the next twelve months. Now, I'm not a rates expert. Uh, I know we're worried about recession, but it sure as hell feels like uh, we're very close to the point where um, the bank index can actually embark on a period of outperformance. Let's say in the coming six to twelve months.
1: That's great, sir. Chris, you brought up the point that. You know, between February and May, the banks were down 15%. Uh, Sirab, I love that point that you make. That you know, going back in time when we saw rate increases to the extent that that we saw that that kind of a decrease in the bank index is, is actually quite normal. And subsequently, uh, we, we have seen that in previous circumstances, oftentimes the banks sort of play catch up from that point onward. So that's a great way to tie, I think, those two together. And Chris, you pointed out exactly that. That since uh, then, the banks have, uh, have certainly recovered quite nicely. Chris, I want to come back to you. And, and uh, we talk about inflation a little bit here. The inflation stats have been extremely high around the world. And Canada is no exception. And rising prices tend to focus an investor's attention on companies that pay stable and rising dividends. Companies uh, that are benefiting from inflation, such as energy companies, uh, are another beneficiary. Mm -hmm. What other ETFs might an investor look at to get exposure to financials as as well to the broader theme of an inflation hedge?
0: Yeah, for sure. So thanks, Dan. So you you mentioned there's a couple sectors that benefit from inflation. Energy is kind of top of mind. Energy is really the I'm not sure if it's the only accretive sector, but the only meaningfully accretive sector in the TSX this year. Uh, so obviously, energy is playing a role there. But as well, you can think of it from a you know, factor point of view, that's how I like to think of it. And one of the big shifts we've seen in the market, obviously, with inflation high, we're seeing rates go up to, to address that high inflation. And what the big uh, rotation that we're seeing is this rotation from growth To value and yield. So companies with earnings further out, you know, kind of the life cycle, you know, call it like, you know, maybe semiconductors or or, uh, growth IT, they're being punished. Companies with current earnings and current cash flow and good valuations, uh, you know, sustainable dividend yields are doing relatively well. And, you know, I do think banks are kind of characteristic of that group as well. So, you know, if the one the, the product set that I think has, you know, really been well positioned and continues to be is, is the dividend. Uh, so in Canada, that'd be ZDV, it's our dividend ETF. And then we have the ZWC, which is our Canadian high dividend cover call, uh, which, which employs that cover call overlay for some extra income. Um, but if you go back and look at, you know, inflation, high inflation environments, you know, you can see it proving out in the data again like sirab saying you, you kind of have to go back you got to take your, your your back testing window back a lot to get you know data on the environment that we're in in now but uh, both value as well as dividend yield tend to outperform um, broad equities during these periods uh, so if you look at those dividends you know again there's there's a pretty high financial weight in Canadian dividend strategies and we, we have about 40 percent and respectively in those two. Energy is about 20%. It's benefiting from this inflation trend. Uh, but overall, when we construct these dividend portfolios, you know, we're, we're not looking for the highest yielders, and, and that's often not the way you want to build a dividend portfolio. You want to look for the kind of quality dividend growers, companies that are sustaining their dividend yield. And that's really what's been kind of in preference by, you know, investors this year in the market, um, especially with all those other risks that we talked about in the background. Uh, so both the ZDB and the ZWC, they're actually positive this year. There's not a ton of equity that is positive this year, but they're up, you know, four to 5% each so far this year. So I would say, you know, for someone uh, looking at, you know, to potentially benefit from these themes, this has been a, a good trade. And, you know, I think it'll continue to be because we still have, you know, a few more interest rate hikes to navigate. You know, I think I, you know, I I feel like inflation it's it's going to come down, but it's it's likely to be sticky. You know, it's going to take it's going to take some time. So, you know, I think this continues to be a good place for investors and, you know, a place where you can be a little bit more defensive as well relative to the broad market. You know, should other risks increase, so I'd suggest the ZDV and the ZWC as places you could look.
1: Thanks for that, Chris. Sir, I I know we've talked about this on on previous podcasts, but I just I can't stop thinking about. That double-edged sword issue of of, uh, inflation, rising rates, and then their impact on the economy and the banks, because you know, as we talked about, on the one hand, banks can increase prices, but on the other hand, you know, higher prices or an economic slowdown uh, will reduce demand for uh, some of those products, services. For those who want to gauge an economy's strength by looking at the financials of the banks? What, what metrics, measures are the most appropriate, in your opinion?
2: Maybe the best way to kind of put it is if you think about commercial or business lending, historically, that has been incredibly pro-cyclical. Um, it's a little bit hard to know which one comes, uh, uh, you know, which one's the chicken or the egg, but they seem to coincide. So I'd say you keep an eye on commercial loan growth. Um I'll tell you this past quarter, the commercial loan growth was uh, double digits across the banks, So it's coming along uh, quite nicely. But I think if you wanted to get a feel for the bank's uh, outlook on the operating environment and, uh, you know, the economy obviously is very uh, tantamount to that, I think you could pay attention to the dividend growth trajectory. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it was mentioned a little bit earlier that they gave us dividend increases. And, uh, you know, Royal Bank of Canada gave us a 7% dividend increase. So, you know, if that is not, I suppose, uh, an indication of management's uh, optimism on its earnings trajectory, I don't know what is. You know, as we start going into a slower economy, the one thing that you hope the banks are doing, and I think accounting uh, uh, under IFRS 9 is increasingly requiring them to, to do this on a proactive or forward-looking basis is you look to see what sort of, uh, I'll say, credit reserve building uh, they are doing. Um, certainly, it doesn't have to be that the performance or the quality of the book has deteriorated, but it would be their signal that they anticipate some degradation in that credit quality. And like I said, this quarter anyway, uh, the reserve levels were, were uh, still kind of embarrassingly low. Um, Now, this is a tale of two kind of halves, if you will. There's the bit of reserve building that maybe you do as you grow the loan book and anticipate some degradation in credit quality because of higher energy costs or funding costs and the like that are the macro indicators we're talking about, inflation. Uh, But it's also offset by probably some amount of reserve releasing that you're required to do by your auditors Given the the level of conservatism that it looks like would have been exercised in building up those reserves in response to the to the pandemic, so those would be the the three or so things that I think bank investors can probably pay attention to. Um, but you know, I, I, I you you don't ever want to say "Don't worry, be happy," but I mean, I think you have to also be comforted that uh, Canadian bank executives, anyway, CEOs and chief risk officers and the like are constantly paying attention to those things. And uh, maybe one, if you were going to whittle it down to one thing, then you look at their capital ratios and uh, the capital ratios of the Canadian banks, you know, at very high levels. uh, I don't think anyone expected them to do as well, not even them, as they ended up doing through the pandemic. So, you know, capital is a plenty, reserve levels are adequate, dividends are going up. And loan growth uh, is slowing down, but uh, is still indicative of a healthy economy.
1: That's great. Thanks, Saurabh. Guys, I want to end off this session, as we often do, talking about real estate. Um, Chris, can I ask you to start off um, with your thoughts on real estate now that the cost of borrowing is rising? So, Chris, I'll start with you. And then, Saurabh, if you can just chime in after Chris.
0: Yeah, you know, I think it, it it certainly got really hot, didn't it, in uh, in February? There's probably different pockets out there, but it looked like everything got really hot. Obviously, coming off the highs, it coincided with interest rate hikes. Uh, like you said, borrowing's more expensive. I'm in the kind of the mild correction camp, you know, it might be 10 percent, 15 percent, but I I think you know there's still a lot of strong demand. If you look at where the economy is, employment's strong right now, so you know we might. Talk about the you know if U.S. GDP comes in negative next quarter, they're in a technical recession, but you know it's not really a recession. I think when your employment's that strong, so you know I think maybe you know there's a little more downside if if that bends the other way. But for now, you know I'd say maybe a mild correction just to kind of take some of the the heat off um, the market with uh, the higher rates. Yeah, so that'd be my two cents on that one.
2: I'd say we look at it from a bank's lens perspective, so. On the one hand, higher real estate prices, in Canada in particular, have meant higher collateral values for the single largest loan class on the bank's balance sheets. So the loan-to-values are probably below 50%. Uh, slower, slower long, and, and mortgages have obviously been a very important driver of the loan growth, along with commercial double digits as well. So... You know, a a mellowing out of the housing market brought about because of the, let's call it higher rates, on the one hand, will slow down loan growth. Um, On the other hand, they put a little bit of pressure on collateral values from a quality of the loan book perspective, but from really, really um, kind of high levels. The real estate asset class in Canada, the mortgage in particular, because of the insured nature on the one hand or the high uh, down payment requirements, tends to be a very capital light and ROE accretive, one of the highest ROE, uh, I'll call it loan categories for the banks. So as real estate slows down, as growth of uh, mortgages slow down, you know, that the factor will be a bit of a headwind, if you will, to the ROE of the banks. But the banks you know, are operating at this mid-teens ROE level, like I said, uh, very high capital levels. So, you know, it's not a huge concern of ours, but it's something that is factoring into uh, our out-year um, estimates.
1: That's great, guys. Thank you very much. You know, this has been a great session. I think the two things that I've jotted down uh, that really stick with me, Chris, was You know, your discussion about the focus on quality dividend growers, which Canadian banks certainly fit into that category. You know, the ETFs are dividend focused ETFs, they're not focused on yield, they're focused on looking at quality dividend growing companies. Surab, the one point that you made that, that stuck with me is for all those armchair economists out there who are trying to forecast a recession, but you know looking at the banks and, and the, the uh, sort of the rules of thumb that you can look at things like commercial loan growth, look at the dividend growth trajectory, look at credit reserve building and, and, and also their capital ratios as indicators of, uh, of, of what the banks um, may be preparing for uh, in the future. So thanks for all of that insight. Folks as a reminder, you can get exposure to Canadian banks via ZEB. ZCN, ZWB, and ZDV. All four ETFs trade actively on the TSX. You can get exposure to our US banks, which we did not talk about today, via ZUB and ZBK or the covered call US banks ETF ZWK. If you have any questions, please visit our ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca for research, news, and insights. That's all for today, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please join us in mid-September for the next update on Canadian banks.
0: Thank you to Sorab Movahedi, Chris Heeks, and Daniel Stanley for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to tune into this same podcast series each Thursday morning for timely insights and strategies. And be sure to bookmark the Canadian ETF dashboard at bmoetfs.ca. That's BMOETFs.ca. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio managers represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statement that necessarily depends on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance.